the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, good morning. It's uh, Friday. Good to have you with me. Dave Ellswick Show here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. And uh, some things happened overnight uh, that we need to talk about uh, right off the bat, and it doesn't involve Louisville. Uh, I know that you are tired of hearing about uh, Russiagate, all right, uh, all about, you know, what's been going on about people attacking the president uh, over Russia. Some information, though, has come out over uh, since yesterday uh, after my show went off the air and a lot of other shows went off the air and after the news was done yesterday. Now, we we've got to talk about because the left has made you so fatigued about this story and so tired about this story and the FBI has made it. So much like pulling teeth to get information about this story that you're going to hear this story kind of and just kind of um, shrug your shoulders like, so what? Well, you know about the Steele dossier. It's been out for a long, long time. People have debunked it time and time again and said that it was a lie, that it was manufactured. But now we have FBI documentation for that. And they knew it. And they still ran with it. Uh, I was listening to Hugh Hewitt just as I was uh, getting ready to come on this morning. And he was on this. And we all should be on this like a dog with a bone. People need to go to jail about this. Just telling you. People need to go to jail over this, this misdirection, this lying to the FISA court and everything else that went down because we literally had a small group of people here in this country trying to do a bloodless coup. And I have never said that before, but this shows that that's what was going on. The primary source of the anti-Trump dossier, authored, uh, authored by ex-British intelligence agent Christopher Steele, was a subject of an FBI counterintelligence investigation from 2009 to 2011 for suspected contact with Russian intelligence officers. Guy was working with a... Russian spooks. 
That's what was going on. Attorney General Bill Barr penned a letter to Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham yesterday responding to requests as part of the panel's review into the origins of the Russian probe. Quote, in connection with your committee's investigation of these matters and ongoing hearings, you've been asking us to accelerate this process and to provide any additional information relating to the reliability of the work of Christopher Steele and the so-called Steele dossier, as long as its release would not compromise U.S. Attorney John Durham's ongoing criminal investigation. A footnote in the Inspector General's report contains information which up until now has been classified, in other words, nobody could see it, and redact it bearing on the reliability of the Steele dossier. The FBI has declassified the relevant portion of the footnote number 334, which states that, quote, the primary subsource was the subject of an FBI counterintelligence investigation from 2009 to 2011 that assessed his or her contacts with suspected Russian intelligence officers. Barr went on and added that at his request, the FBI has prepared a declassified summary of certain information from the counterintelligence investigation into the source. Now, you have that coming out, along with emails that the FBI has said never existed being released yesterday showing agents talking amongst themselves that this whole investigation is a bunch of hokum. People need to go to jail. This kind of stuff will not stop until people are cooling their heels in a federal penitentiary. And I'm not talking about some club med someplace. I'm talking about uh, somewhere where, uh, you know, it, it's tough. It's tough where, you, you know, you, you help do the laundry and, and you got to work uh, in the heat and you only get so much time out in the, uh, the exercise yard and things of that nature. Don't, don't send them someplace where, you know, the, the room that you're in, you know, is like a, a, a four-star hotel. And Club Med places are just like that. It's, it, this is... I, uh, I worry so much for our country anymore. I really do. I worry about our nation. You know, I don't know if it's going to be salvageable. You know, people... Jefferson said back in the founding of the Republic that when... When the masses found out they could vote themselves money out of the public treasury, democracy would die. And, and, and that's what's happening. I mean, uh, people go to the polls now, and, and what they do is they vote in their financial interests many times. Who's promising me the most of what? I got a shirt that I wear. And... Uh, when I wear it, never never fails. I'm stopped by people. Some people stop me 
to say, hey, I, you know, I, I agree with what that says. Love your shirt. Others stop me and say uh, things like, uh, you hate the poor. Or uh, uh, you don't want to help anybody. Uh, and and my, my shirt says freedom on it. And then underneath of it, a subheadline says not free stuff. Freedom, not free stuff. And I believe that. Being, you won the lottery. You won the lottery. I won the lottery by being born in America. I don't know if that's going to be so much the truth in the future if things keep going the way they're In the uh, 7 or 8 o'clock hour, I'll be talking to Robert and I'll be talking to uh, uh, Chris Corbett about a hit piece today uh, by Politico on Mitch McConnell saying that his wanting to make sure that uh, they get the uh, Supreme Court nominee that the president wants uh, to nominate in front of the Senate and voted on. And, and I hope that if it is Amy Barrett that she's, uh, she's uh, not only nominated but confirmed as quickly as possible. And Political, who wrote this article, and if you've ever thought Political wasn't a left-leaning rag, all you got to do is look at what they uh, published today uh, in their magazine, in their opinion pieces uh, that they uh, cover. But they attack Mitch McConnell saying that he's, he's doing this and it goes against the history of the Senate. And that is a flat-out lie. It's a lie. It's totally uh, a group of people that are denying history. When the president and the Senate of a, are of the same uh, party, there have been like 19 cases uh, where they've nominated a, a Supreme Court nominee from the White House and then voted on it, and they confirmed 18 of them. I think the 19th one uh, that's out there, the outlier, is uh, one that was about some uh, guy who uh, basically uh, had a con- real bad conflict of interest. Of course, that doesn't stop anything now. We got a vice president whose son was getting three and a half million dollars from the widow of a oligarch over in uh, Russia, and he never said a word. Never said anything about it. And when it comes up, it's it's no big deal. Hey, it is a big deal. You know, you may not have broken the law, per se, but you turned an eye away from, uh, you know, people taking bribes. Your own son taking a bribe. He was selling his influence to Russians. In this case, Ukrainians. There is so much going on, so many, so much stuff uh, we're going to talk about later on in the show. 
about what's going on in, in other states, about mail fraud in elections. Uh, give you that whole story uh, today in, in the show. We'll cover it with Robert and, and with Chris as well. Uh, I, I just shake my head. Uh, now, I do. Uh, let me give you some good news. Because today is a great day in history as far as the state of Arkansas. Uh, today was the day when black students entered all-white Central High School in Little Rock uh, here in Arkansas. It happened uh, uh, back in 1957. Three weeks earlier, uh, the governor, Orville Faubus, and by the way, I don't hear anybody yelling about having his bust removed from the, uh, you know, from the Capitol. Everybody's happy leaving his bust in there. Uh, he has surrounded the school with National Guard troops to prevent its federal court-ordered racial integration. There was a tense standoff with President Dwight Eisenhower, by the way, a Republican. And Eisenhower federalized the Arkansas National Guard and sent 1,000 Army paratroopers with the U.S. Army's 101st Airborne Division to Little Rock to enforce the court order. Back on May 17, 1954, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled unanimously in Brown versus Board of Education at Topeka that racial segregation in educational facilities was unconstitutional. Five days later, the Little Rock School Board issued a statement saying it would comply with the decision when the Supreme Court outlined the method and time frame in which segregation should be implemented. Arkansas was at the time, I want you to remember this, among the more progressive southern states in regard to racial issues. The University of Arkansas School of Law was integrated back in 49. The Little Rock uh, Public Library back in 51. Even before the Supreme Court ordered integration to proceed with all deliberate speed, the Little Rock School Board in 55 unanimously adopted a plan of integration to begin in 57 at the high school level. The in, uh, in, uh, AACP filed suit arguing the plan was too gradual, but a federal judge dismissed the suit saying that the school board was acting in utmost good faith. Meanwhile, Little Rock's public buses were desegregated by 1957, seven out of Arkansas's eight state universities were integrated. In the spring of 57, there were 517 black students who lived in the Central High School District. Eighty expressed an interest in attending Central in the fall. They were interviewed by the Little Rock School Board, which narrowed down the number of candidates to 17. Eight of those students later decided to remain at the all-black horse man high school, leaving the Little Rock Nine to forge their way into Little Rock Premier High School. So uh, 1957, this day, 57, they had their first day in school. But I bet you didn't know all those uh, things that were going on in Arkansas before these students, these high school students, went in, nor maybe the decision of the Little Rock 
uh, school board. 621 on a Friday morning. Good morning to you. Glad that you've joined us. Got a lot that's coming up. Coming up 635, Ryan Norris from Americans for Prosperity will be with us. Uh, Information on issue one uh, that we'll talk to him about when we continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Let's get a break in and get you some traffic, get you some weather, get you some news. That's all coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Dave, Dave with you. I've uh, been back since uh, Tuesday and glad to be part of the show. I'll be with you uh, tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock uh, with the car and truck doctors. Joe is going to be here. I think David's going to be here as well. Uh, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, talking to you about cars. If you have a car uh, question, you can send that in by sending it just to me uh, by going to Dave at uh, Salem, S-A-L-E-M-L-R.com, and uh, send that uh, email to me, and I'll read it on the air, and, and, and Joe and David will try to help you. Or during the show, if you want to call, the number here is always 823-0965, 823-0965. And the uh, phone lines are always open during the show. You're always welcome to give me a call. The only time that you can't call me when I'm on the air is in the evening, uh, either at 6 or 7 when I'm on, because that's pre-recorded. If you have something that you want to get to me and want me to know about, uh, you can always text me, and typically I'll, uh, if it's a question that you have, I'll talk about it during that show if I have uh, an email from you. Again, that's Dave at... Salem, S-A-L-E-M-L-R dot com. Now, I'm expected today when I see my doctor to get a completely clean bill of health. And uh, if it, that truly happens, then I'll be ready to uh, come out to your organization and speak at your organizations, whether you're, a, you know, a county Republican group, a church group, uh, if you're a Lions Club group or whatever, uh, you know, I know you tail uh, twisters out there are always looking for people to come and speak. Uh, I'm willing to do that. All you need to do is send me a, a, a email at Dave at Salem L. You're getting tired of hearing this, right? Dave at Salem, S-A-L-E-M. LR.com. I'm more than willing, if we can work the time frames out and things of that nature, to come out and to talk to your organization. I've done this. I've done that a lot. I mean, I've talked to hundreds of organizations over the years, uh, the 20 years that I've been here uh, in the Little Rock market, and uh, hopefully get another 20 years. That'd be pretty cool. And, uh, you know, be able to do many hundred more. The Attorney General of Texas is going after alleged mail ballot fraud in Gregg County uh, in East Texas. This is a story from the Dallas Morning News. Attorney General Paxson yesterday announced the arrest of a Democratic County Commissioner and three associates in Gregg uh, County in East uh, Texas on charges of election fraud in a 2018 election. In an announcement with potential significance for November, 
uh, when voting by mail is expected to increase significantly because of the threat of COVID-19. Paxton said uh, Gregg County Commissioner Shannon Brown, Marlena Jackson, Charlie Burns, and Dwayne Ward orchestrated a vote harvesting scheme to help win Brown the Democratic primary two years ago. Now check this out. Paxton, a Republican who has opposed Democratic efforts to expand mail voting during the pandemic, said the uh, case proved mail ballots could be easily manipulated. I've talked about that here on the show. Quote, it's an unfortunate reality that elections can be stolen outright by mail ballot fraud. Now, we'll have more on that story for you uh, after 7 o'clock when uh, Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett come on because this is stuff we really need to talk about because, uh, you know, just sending these ballots uh, by mail to uh, voters is crazy. Don't even know if you're sending it to a voter or not. All right, let's get a break, and then Ryan Norris joins us from Americans for Prosperity right here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. 24 minutes until uh, 7 o'clock. Ryan Norris uh, gave me a call yesterday afternoon from Americans for Prosperity, was inviting me uh, to a uh, kind of a webinar or a press conference that was going to happen today. Uh, with them and with other people who have joined with Americans for Prosperity uh, in having problems with Issue 1, which is the um, uh, initiated act that the governor is firmly behind, which would make a a sales tax that was passed 10 years ago uh, not only keep it alive, it was supposed to sunset after 10 years, but not only keep it alive, and use it for roads, but also to make it part of the state constitution, which I really take umbrage at. The last thing we want to do is start making taxes uh, protected by the state constitution. We do not want that to happen. So uh, I invited Ryan on to come on and, and give you all the information about this so that if you want to join us, since it's going to be on uh, the web, uh, you can. And, Ryan, thanks for joining us this early in the morning. Are you typically up this early? I am. I've got a little girl that's, that's in school, so uh, this is normal hours for me. Okay, well, then I don't feel so bad. I I typically feel bad about asking people to join me at uh, 635 if they're on Central Time or Mountain or Pacific uh, because it uh, continually gets earlier as you go west. But uh, let me ask you to just bring us up to date on what's going on here with uh, Issue 1. The people who are against this now are uh, really starting to to get together and, uh, and, and, mm-hmm. and put their, their power together. Yes. So issue one, again, half-cent sales tax that they want to amend uh, the, the constitutional amendment that currently has the sunset tax in it, and they just want to make it permanent. And they're saying that this is a long-term solution for roads. And uh, 
they'll tell you that we don't have enough money today, even with the current half-cent sales tax, and that we won't have enough money tomorrow, even if issue one passes. So that doesn't sound like a solution to me. All they're doing is sustaining a, a sales tax that will, uh, you know, that, that does not actually solve for all the issues that we have on roads. And again, no permanent tax, no on issue one committee. We're for good road maintenances. We're, we're totally for that and for necessary constructions. We just don't think this is the way. And we think that that Arkansans believe that this is not the best way of going about it. Um, you know, the policy has got to be very questionable when you see groups like uh, the Northeast Arkansas Tea Party and the Arkansas Public Policy Panel stepping up to work together to defeat uh, issue one the Sierra Club and the Central Arkansas Reentry Coalition and the Garland County Tea Party are all getting together to join us in, in, in fighting against this. You also have the Autobahn uh, Arkansas stepping up and working with groups like the Arkansas Liberty Coalition to help defeat issue one. And so today we're going to have a press conference at 11 a.m. Uh, we, we are kind of closing this off to press at the moment, so press can have plenty of time to ask questions and such, but we will be putting this out uh, in video ads. Uh, so stay tuned for that. You'll have Facebook. You can join us on Facebook. Uh, if you go to Facebook, look up No Permanent Tax, No on Issue 1. Our public Facebook group is there. Ask to join that. We've been up for less than a week on that that page, and we already have over 200 uh, members who have okay. joined. But they all, they're all they all united against the Issue 1 for all kinds of, of different reasons. And uh, so it's, it's interesting because I'm getting phone calls in the office every day from someone who's like, hey, did you know that this is what happens with your dollars when you send them into RDOT? Did you know that there's this way that they go about, you know, uh, not having as much efficiency? Oh, did you know about this tax that's that gets cut, you know, here for, for certain groups, but not for others? And it's really interesting. People are stepping up. In fact, today, I'm, as soon as I drop my little girl off, uh, I'm going to be on the road to uh, to a, a city that's a little further away uh, this morning than uh, normally drive to drop off uh, door hangers. We have over 100,000 door hangers that we're working to get out to educate individuals on about issue one uh, between now and the election. So lots yeah. of people stepping up here, Dave. Well, you know that it's an issue that has widespread uh, interest when you said you got left groups, which we, I would typically call lefty groups, and you've got right groups that are joining forces and kind of getting in the bed together, so to speak, <laughs> because they have uh, completely similar views on the subject. And, you know, I've, I've been speaking out against this ever since it came up because I always say, uh, you know, if you, if you want to solve a problem, you govern. If all you're mm -hmm. wanting to do is keeping the status quo, you tax. That's what you do, yes. and and that's what's happening here. And there's there's quite a few uh, House member Republicans and uh, uh, Senate Republicans that are uh, starting to speak out about issue one. Yes, and so Dave, to that point, you know, it's been brought up that well, in fact, the Arkansas Good Roads met. Uh, I believe it was on Wednesday. And the governor said to them that, hey, you know, people are taking are a little upset about this being in the Constitution. He tried to say that the reason why they wanted to uh, keep, you know, do it through a constitutional amendment was because 
uh, they wanted it to go to a vote of the people. Well, the people vote for their representatives, and our representatives can represent what our true wishes are. That's right. Real, you know, they they can. Now, the situation is, is that if you were to run this exact same bill, but not as a constitutional amendment, not with the people voting on it, and you had these same members vote for a tax increase, they would they would have to answer to their constituents. And that's what is happening with this sales tax. They're trying to take it away so that take it into the Constitution to say, oh, it's the democratic process. We're going to let the people vote on it. And then it's not even going to be a fair fight then because you have all of the vested interests who will make profits off of the contracts. Uh, and you have all of the, the cities and the counties who may or may not have, have managed their turn back funds correctly lobbying for, you know, and and putting millions of dollars together for a public relations campaign to trick us, the voter, into voting a permanent tax in our Constitution. And that's why it's gone this route. And then it was said, well, it can always be amended. We know about amending. We, you know, we amended the Constitution for casinos. Well, that's because there was a massive lobby with, again, millions of dollars to get the voter to vote for casinos because there were massive profits to be made. Yes. And... And, and so it's never a fair fight when it and this is these are citizen groups that are coming together. Everyone that I mentioned today are citizen based groups that never had a seat at the table to have their grievances heard as we move towards this policy as a way of funding our highways. Not well, and, one of them. Go ahead. Oh, I'm just saying that it's always an unfair fight because the if if. You wanted to if issue one goes into the Constitution and then you want to remove it. Imagine the, the courage it would take for the for a representative or a senator to put forward that legislation. Then it has to go through the committees. It has to go through the House, through the Senate, has to be signed by the governor and then again voted on. And the same group that's saying that they're pro democracy right now would use the same lobbying power that they have under the Arkansas Capitol every single day to block that kind of legislation, even if 99% of the people in Arkansas wanted it, they would step up to fight against it. And so you can say it could potentially be removed from the Constitution, but they know that that is a political calculation that's statistically zero. Yeah, right and, now is the only time you can vote as a, as a, pers- as a uh, citizen, you can vote yourself a tax decrease by opposing issue one. Let me ask you a question. I don't know if you know the answer to this. I do not. And that is, how many other taxes are in our state constitution? I I have heard, I haven't looked it up, but I've heard that there may be one for um, Damon Fish. Maybe. But taxes are not the places we put our, the constitution is not the place to put taxes constitutions, particularly if you are uh, of a conservative mindset, that's the place that you enshrine rights. That's right. And that you and that you limit government. It's not the place where you tax your citizens, much less tax them forever. But again, it's a vehicle. The way it's being used, it's being used as a vehicle to take the political hot potato and then say, oh, well, we're giving it to the democratic process. All the same while, you know, You know, there's pros and cons being debated, and we're not involved in it on issue three. But issue three would also raise the thresholds for how citizens, if we decided as citizens we wanted to affect a change in our Constitution, 
they're now raising that threshold. So again, unless you are a very moneyed organization, you will not be able to to, to affect that change you know, into the Constitution from a you know uh, public initiative. So they're blocking you know they're they're blocking and tackling uh, very well on this issue. But here's the messaging, Dave. So the constitutionality, once it gets in there, politically, statistical zero that it's ever going to come out. It's not really a long-term solution because they'll tell you they're going to need more money even later. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, that's what they're saying. Now, here's what I would like to say, too, is that the messaging on that side, on the side of pro, is basically this. Our roads are not good, and it's the taxpayer's fault for not having paid in enough taxes. That is false. When you look at Guidehouse, who is currently auditing the Arkansas Department of Transportation, you find that one of the key key pieces they have uncovered is that RDOT has only budgeted $190 million a year to maintenance 16,400 miles of roads and bridges. So it comes down yeah. to what I've always said. Lack of governance. Yes, it's not a priority. Your potholes are not your fault. Those bridges are not your fault as a taxpayer. The people you've been sending money to have been diverting that money to large new construction projects that have higher profit margins than they are to resurfacing your roads because that's not quite as much money in that. And so that's not going to be a high priority. Okay, hold your thoughts. We've got to get a break in. Then we'll come back and we'll finish up. Uh, Ryan Norris is our guest. He's the chairman of Americans for Prosperity, the Arkansas uh, uh, <laughs> chapter here in the United States. AFP is all across the United States, and they fight for good fiscal policy. We'll continue talking about this whole issue one situation on the Dave Ellswick Show when we return. Twelve. All right, six and a half minutes to the top of the hour. It's uh, 6.53, or you can say seven minutes till, but we're past the halfway mark of that seven till. So just to be uh, totally you know, transparent, six and a half minutes. Ryan Norris is with us. He's been with us since the beginning of this half hour, and uh, he is with Americans for Prosperity, the Arkansas chapter, and uh, they, along with other uh, grassroots groups are uh, beginning uh, to uh, flex their muscles a little bit and getting the information out about issue one. So let me turn it back over to him to tell us some other things that he knows about it. Go ahead, Ryan. Well, first, what I'd like to say again, this is a half-cent sales tax that they're asking to be placed into the Arkansas Constitution permanently and that it will go towards roads and highways. And here's what I would like to say. One, once it, they, they say it's not going to be permanent because you can change the Constitution, but they're making it more and more difficult to, to have that happen. Uh, number two, once it does get into the Constitution, the same groups that are pushing to put it in will fight to to have it removed. So it this politically, it's a statistical zero that the that any grassroots group would be able to get a legislator to put something forward that could get through the the process uh, of legislation without that person 
uh, taking slings and arrows from the same groups that are out there supporting issue one. In fact, um, we do have some that are coming to the table and saying, hey, I would like to uh, voice my opposition against issue one. But more often than not, we're saying I can't speak out against issue one no matter how, I, how much I oppose it, because that's the donor class. Those are the donors of political campaigns. And I don't want to upset them because I won't get that get their consideration for for dollars later. So you understand that this is a David and Goliath fight of grassroots citizens trying to hold their government accountable while special interests are trying to hold their uh, their special interests uh, in get them enshrined into our Constitution. Uh, So. There, there's that piece. The other piece is, is that the situation with our roads are not the fault of the taxpayer. RDOT has only budgeted $190 million per year out of a $2.6 billion budget, for example, that they had last year, less than 10% towards maintenance of our highways and our bridges. This shows that there's a priority problem there, not an issue with the funding. That needs to be more than $190 million when you consider we have 16,400 miles and they want to add in another 1,700 miles of road on top of that. So if we can't maintenance what we have now, and the half-cent sales tax, is, they say, isn't even going to touch that, but you want to build another additional 1,700, it's not only an albatross around the, the taxpayer's neck of Arkansas, but it's an it's a albatross that they're feeding and trying to make it grow larger. So there's that. So it's not your fault as a taxpayer. RDOT can restructure. They can they can find ways of prioritizing. Again, it's $205 million that they say they will get out of uh, this half-cent sales tax is, again, less than 10% of their total operation budgets uh, on average for the last uh, – since, like, 2016. So yeah. uh, there's, there's that. The other piece is that the, they're running with it's the taxpayer's fault and then fear that we will lose jobs. We will lose jobs if you vote against this. I'm telling you that the market, number one, when you have more money in your pocket as a taxpayer, you're able to spend more for goods and services that you and your family need. This will generate jobs locally at minimum. This will support local tax bases. But also, Arkansas has a blue-collar, uh, has a shortage of blue-collar uh, skilled labor. We have more jobs. You can look at the, look at the uh, different articles that have been written in the last you know, year or two and find we need more people to do those jobs. And the Guidehouse report, Guidehouse is the current auditor, auditing RDOT, says if they don't start paying their folks more, those, those folks will be uh, enticed away to the private sector. So, again, the jobs are there. They will happen. Don't feel guilty that you're going to vote in the best interests of your family. What will actually happen, you will actually have more money in your pocket, which some, by even the conservative estimates, say would equal about another grocery, a week of groceries for a family. I know families that have, have, because of COVID and the pandemic, have lost their jobs, have had their incomes cut in half. Um, I have family who are in that category. We do. We, as the people of Arkansas, have this one chance right here to actually vote to to hold government accountable to the promises they made in 2012, and put that money back in the pockets of the Arkansan as it was promised back then, and promised All by right. the exact same groups. We're out of time. 
I appreciate you joining me today. We'll have you back on. Again, people should be uh, paying attention to Facebook. What is that Facebook address for them to go to again? Yeah. So just type in, search no permanent tax, no on issue, and the number one, and you'll find us, join us, uh, learn how you can help. All right. Appreciate you, Ryan. Have a great weekend. We'll be talking to you, I'm sure, many more times down the road before we vote on November 3rd here on this issue. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett coming up after the news at the top of the hour. We're going to talk about mail-in ballots and what's going on in Texas. That's coming up in a moment. Six minutes after seven, I've got Chris Corbett here from Conway. He's a practicing attorney here in Arkansas. He zeroes in on engineering, but uh, he he does all kinds of litigation. He's done all kinds of, of work. He's he's uh, protected people's rights in court for years now. Uh, also, with us is Robert Steinbach. Uh, Robert is a law professor at the Bowen School of Law. His opinions are his and his alone and not necessarily those of the school nor of the university the school belongs to. So with that said, let's really get in uh, to the first subject I wanted to talk to you guys about. And that has to do with this article today from the Dallas Morning News. Now, I have been talking, and Robert, I know you have talked about this, and Chris, you've been part of the conversations about mail-in ballots and how we're going to have all these mail-in ballots in all these different states and the way that they're going about doing it uh, depends on what state you're in. But we do know from looking at these states that this is not like absentee ballots. There's not the same kind of uh, protection of the ballot uh, under just mail-in ballots that there are Uh, for absentee ballots, and there's a thing that's called harvesting uh, that goes on with mail-in ballots as well. And uh, the Attorney General of Texas, Ken Paxton, yesterday announced the arrest of a Democratic County Commissioner and three of his associates, uh, or, or, or their associates, in Gregg County in East Texas, on charges of election fraud in a 2018 election. And let me tell you, if it's this easy to commit fraud on a small scale, it would be really easy to do this on a massive scale. In an announcement with potential significance for the November elections when voting by mail is expected to increase significantly, and they're saying uh, vote by mail could take in anywhere between 10 to 17 percent of the ballots cast on Election Day on November 3rd. 
uh, the threat of because of the COVID-19, uh, Paxson said Greg County Commissioner Shannon Brown, Marlena Jackson, Charlie Burns, and Dwayne Ward orchestrated a vote harvesting scheme to help win Brown the Democratic primary two years ago. Uh, Paxson has been saying for some time now that uh, the whole thing of uh, going out and harvesting these uh, ballots and stuff makes it easy to manipulate an election. He says, quote, is an unfortunate reality that elections can be stolen outright by mail ballot fraud. Election fraud, particularly in an organized mail ballot fraud scheme orchestrated by political operatives, is an affront to democracy, results in voter disenfranchisement and corruption at the highest level. This case demonstrates my commitment to ensuring Texas has the most secure elections in uh, the country. In total, the four defendants face 134 felony charges, including engaging in organized election fraud, illegal voting, fraudulent use of an application for a mail-in ballot, unlawful possession of a mail-in ballot, tampering with a government record, and election uh, fraud. A grand jury returned indictments on 23 felony counts for Brown, 97 counts for Jackson, 8 counts against Burns, 6 felony counts against Ward. Penalties for those offenses are six months in state jail to 99 years in prison. I think this is a, the canary whistling in the coal mine, guys. It, it, it's a, it's a, a, a definite signal that uh, this whole mail-in ballot thing can really go left. There's no question about this. Of course, the Democrats screamed at Republicans when we said, um, maybe you should bring an ID before you vote so that we know who you are. Oh, you're interfering with voting. You're interfering with the franchise, they said. Uh, you're, looking, you're looking to suppress voters. No. Uh, everybody has an ID. Oh, well, there's some guy who lives out in the farm. He's 98 years old and he doesn't have an ID. Oh, okay, so let's build our whole legal system around the fact that there's one anomaly when you can address the one anomaly. Send out the clerk, put in funding, and send out the clerk to the guy's house, and have the clerk of the court, I mean the clerk of the state, whatever it is, go and issue the person an ID. By the way, that guy's going to vote, right? This is a guy who never went to the motor vehicles department or wherever one gets an ID, but he's going to vote. So it's also a little bit disingenuous that somehow he's able to do the voting franchise, but he's not able to get an ID. But if you have a problem with people having the ability to get an ID, then you arrange for them that you're going to bring it to them. Not you have a completely open voting system where anybody can show up and say, well, I'm John Smith. Well, which one of the 862 John Smiths are you? And I describe all of that as an analogy to what's going on here. Oh, well, yeah, you know, we should have open voting by mail. We'll just randomly send out letters to wherever people live, and nobody's going to think to open up the uh, um, mailbox of someone who lives in a house and take out their mail and voting. No, uh, nobody's ever going to think 
when they live in a house that they get something addressed to a previous resident that they could do something nefarious about it. Nobody's going to ever think of any of these scams that you can do with millions and millions of paper ballots being mailed out to homes. Virtually no country does mail-in voting en masse for that reason. And as we have discussed, the president has also discussed, as well as the attorney general, that's different than absentee ballot. I filled out an absentee ballot. Absentee ballot, I've got to contact them, and I've got to provide them with my signature and personal information. So they know who they're mailing it to. It's not this en masse, you know, it's not an advertisement for 25 cents off of Tide laundry detergent that goes out to everybody. So let's have a little common sense here. So there is a real potential for increased voter fraud. Of course, in the end, you only know if it's going to have an effect based on how tight a race is and how much of the fraud you can detect. And the very essence of fraud is it's designed to be kept secret. And that's the real problem with it. Yeah, this is this is a worrisome, I think, a very worrisome problem that sits out there because people have to understand the, the difference between these ballots that are going out in the mail to people and, you know, absentee ballots. There's a lot of protections in absentee ballots, or should be, although in Pulaski County we might want to question that. But, you know, Chris, uh, this is something everybody should be worried about because you know, this can disenfranchise the people's uh, votes in an election. Oh, Dave, you're right on it. And this this uh, Greg County Commissioner, Shannon Brown, um, she's in office illegally. And um, this Attorney General, Ken Paxton, uh, I just read his little bio. He's a go-getter. And, and uh, I wish you'd have filed this thing earlier. Um, but it looks like he's doing the right thing here. And the, the crazy thing... Here is this mail-in ballots for this commissioner in Gregg County in Texas. It changed the outcome of the election. Um, that yes, was a small did. election. It was two thousand. Yeah, it was a small election, two thousand votes. But um, these these Democratic folks uh, got in there and they committed mail fraud. And now Ken Paxton's after them. Attorney General Ken Paxton, the chief law enforcement agent of the state of Texas, has said, "Okay, let's go get them." Grand juries indicted them. I just read the indictment. It is 35 pages long. And um, the, a neat uh, distinction here, Dave, is ma- mail-in ballots versus absentee ballots. From what I understand, the absentee ballot is, hey, uh, I'm going to be absent. I can't vote in person. Please send me one. You have to prove that you can vote there, and you have mm-hmm. to get, and that's when you pick up your absentee ballot. These mail-in ballots, Dave, are different. These Shannon Brown went out with her four, three other cohorts here, picked people out, and said, "You vote for me. You vote for me. You," and then mailed them in. And they claimed a disability, saying they couldn't go in and vote. That's where yeah, the, they changed. The they, they, they gave them a disability that they didn't have because that was yeah. one of the reasons why you could get one of these mail-in ballots. And uh, you know, they they manipulated an election. Hundred percent, they manipulated the election, and um, now they got to pay the price. They've all been arrested. We, they, they've all been and, arrested. And now we've seen this process play itself out in New Jersey. We've seen it play itself out in California. How many different places do we have to play this out at to know that this is not a good idea? I mean, when Carter and Baker 
had their committee uh, about a decade ago about mail-in ballots. Uh, they conceded in their report that that was the the best way to be able to manipulate and to uh, and do fraud. Oh man, yeah, definitely. The mail-in ballots are now it's now proven. Go ahead, Rob. No, no worries. What I was going to simply say is, Chris Apley mentioned a moment ago that the election under question in that article was for a total of around 2,000 votes. We're a small state. 2,000 votes may be the number of votes. I think it's perhaps a little bit less, but close to the number of votes for a House seat, state House seat, of course, I'm referring to. So it really does matter. And then it can matter on a national scale in the sense that, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> in the sense that any election that's close, then the votes matter. Recall, of course, Florida uh, Bush v. Gore. 2,000 votes mattered. Uh, now, this past election, 2016, I don't know if any, I don't think any of them were quite that close to 2,000 votes, but up there in Wisconsin or Minnesota, I can't tell the difference between the two, by the way. Uh, I think it was 10,000 votes. It matters. It's, when, it's, when it's close, it matters. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, you guys hold on. Got to get a break in. There's still a few things we need to talk about, about mail-in ballots. It's going to happen. And then I'm going to ask you a question about election night and see what you have to say about that. 19 minutes after 7, we've got uh, uh, Chris Corbett with us as well as uh, Robert Steinbach. I'm Dave Ellswick. This is Dave Ellswick's show. Don't forget about my good friends over at uh, PI Roofing. Yeah, did you notice some stains, you know, on the ceiling of your house after all the rain we've had over the last couple of days? If you have, you probably got a leak. And you know what? It might be showing up in your kitchen, and maybe the leak is in your roof, and it's back, you know, 30 feet from where your kitchen's at. Because leaks are a strange little animal. They... They follow the, you know, the two by fours and stuff up in, up in your roof, and they 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 dribble down and then they drop down, and they might not even be close uh, to where uh, the leak is and where it shows up uh, in your house. So you want to get the roof leak detectives out there to do their detective work so that they can find where exactly. Uh, that leak is, and then get it fixed. Now, it might mean that uh, you just need a small area fixed, like I did a couple of uh, months ago uh, when we found that the leak was coming from around a screw hole uh, that was used to hold a bracket on my roof for DirecTV. Or uh, you might find out that the plywood on your roof has rotted over the last 15 to 20 years, and it's time to, you know, tear your roof down and, and get a new roof. Well, the folks at PI Roofing can determine that for you. They can talk to you about that. They'll work with your home uh, insurance about it, and uh, they'll save you money. All you got to do is call Joel Johnson and, and his wife, Veronica, at PI Roofing. Talk to their staff. And they'll work with you. And they'll take care of this whole COVID-19 thing of, you know, social distancing and whatnot. So you don't, if you're worried about coming into contact with people, uh, that won't have to happen. It can all be done over the phone or over the Internet. 
you've got to call. Call the same number I call. Uh, these are the people I use. 707-3551. 707-3551. When you need the best, you call the best. And that is P.I. Roofing. Or visit them online. PIRoofing.com. Well, not only stimulating, but it's important talk. It's stuff that you need to be aware of. So we've been talking about this whole mail-in ballot thing. So that leads me to my final question on this subject for both Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett. They're both attorneys of law. They both are licensed to practice here in Arkansas. Chris's specialty, of course, is engineering. Uh, Robert is a law professor at the Bowen School of Law uh, here in Little Rock. And remember, his opinions are his and, and his alone and not necessarily those of the school or of the university. Guys, on November 3rd, will we know who the winner is uh, for the presidential election? Or is it going to be like the president kind of suggested the other day? This is going to be like 2000 and there's going to be suit, countersuit, and it's all going to end up uh, in the Supreme Court. I think it's likely, but not definitively, the latter. Because you have, okay. two, you have two events converging. One is, it's undoubtedly, well, it's, I, think, I think it's close to undoubtedly going to be a close election. So when it's close, of course, every vote matters, including those that are not cast on the machines, meaning absentee and mail-in as well. And we're going to have a high number of absentee and mail-in, which aren't counted at that moment because they're not digital, right? They have to open up the envelopes. Some of them, I don't know the process, maybe some of them are counted prior to that day, but as they come in over the rolling days, uh, those will need to be counted in many states likely as well. So both of those events converging suggest we won't have a definitive answer on the night of election. Now, the flip side is it's a a much bigger sort of landslide might be an exaggeration, but much more clear cut that night. Oh, Trump wins by a lot, or to be fair, Biden wins by a lot. And then, of course, the, the the ballot, the hand balloted, hand ballots don't matter. But there's a much greater chance of the former than in normal times. That cannot be disputed. So overall, there's a much greater chance that this thing goes much longer than that evening than has typically been the case. In fact, that, that has always been the case, perhaps other than Bush v. Gore. Okay. Chris, you got 60 seconds. Good question. I think it's going to be a slam dunk, Dave. I think folks are going to come out of the woodwork voting for Trump. And the Dems are going to try to paint this as it's uncertain. Oh, we don't know. We're going to have to wait. We got hanging chads out there. We got fat chads. We got pregnant chads. No, this is going to be a slam dunk. Um, and um, I, I think um, the, the, the smoke and mirrors that the, the Dems are going to kind of throw up is going to be of their own making um, through trying to manipulate this mail-in ballot stuff. I think folks are they're sick and tired of these protests. They're sick and tired of the lawlessness and disorder. And they're, really, they're going to come out and show that Trump's done a good record, has a good All right. record. He's, All he's, right, guys. Yeah, go ahead. Stay tuned. we got Rush coming up. 
and Rush speaks, I listen. So we're going to get him on here on the Dave Ellswick Show. That's coming up right now here at 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, we continue the Dave Ellswick Show on a Friday. On Fridays, I always have Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett on, or Corbett on with us. Uh, Chris is from Conway, practicing attorney here in uh, Arkansas. And Robert Steinbach, of course, is on uh, not only on Friday, but during times that I need him to talk about constitutional issues. He's a law professor uh, at the uh, Bowen School of Law, and his opinions are his and his alone. Joining us is Greg Payne, another lawyer uh, with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. You know, it's very seldom that I bring three lawyers on at one time, <laughs> but I'm doing it today. Uh, Greg is a lawyer uh, that, that is uh, prosecuting, a, that's a, that's a, a legal term, uh, Dan Sullivan's case on with the governor uh, dealing uh, with uh, the state of emergency from the Arkansas Department of Health. And uh, I am a plaintiff on that uh, that piece of uh, litigation as well, because I don't think that there's that kind of a uh, emergency going on anymore and that our state legislature needs to be involved in these decisions now, which they are not. So with that in mind, Greg, bring us up to date on what's happening here. Well, good morning, Dave, uh, Chris, Robert. How are you guys doing? Um, doing well. Yeah, the latest. The latest is um, uh, two days ago uh, we received a motion to dis- to dismiss um, from uh, from the Department of Health, um, and and you guys will be will understand that the rules on this what they what they filed was a twelve b six motion, which in in standard litigation suggests that we haven't uh, we we failed to state a, a sufficient facts on which relief can be granted. Now um, this is a an action for declaratory judgment, which is a little bit different. It's not. It's not considered ordinary litigation. Um, therefore, the the uh, fundamental requirements are a little bit different. All we have to uh, all we have to say here is that uh, there's a. Uh, I mean, there's a uh, dispute. There's a controversy. Um, the controversy uh, must be between two parties that are adverse. Um, the parties that are are asking for the relief um, have a protectable interest. And and that the the uh, dispute is ripe for decision by the courts. Twelve um, B six really is inappropriate in this situation. And 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 in looking at the just the introductory paragraphs of the of the complaint, um, you'll, you'll plainly see that you know when when you get litigators and citizens who are, who are claiming that their constitutional rights are being violated, that is clearly ripe for declaratory judgment. And um, also, you know, that's not that's not sufficient for a 12B6 motion. Now, in their brief, they suggest that uh, our claim should fail because we failed to join the governor. Um, that's a 12B7 motion, but they haven't they haven't raised that that issue in their in their motion to dismiss. Now, uh, the, not naming the the governor was a was a calculated move, uh, frankly, as out of courtesy to the governor. Um, you know, I didn't want to put the governor in the position where he comes on into uh, you know pleadings in open court, suggesting he's got absolute authority for an indefinite period. I, we didn't want to put the executive branch and the governor in that in that position. However, the director of the Department of Health has actually made that argument. Um, if if you read through the brief in support of the motion to dismiss, um, they claim that the governor has plenary authority uh, for an indefinite period. 
and um, thereby the, the director of the Department of Health has sole authority for the period of emergency, which is apparently indefinite. Um, and if you look at the facts, um, if once the uh, emergency declarations uh, end of their own terms, we will we will be without representation by our state legislature for a total of 225 days. I don't think by any interpretation of uh, either our federal constitution or state constitution, uh, that's legal. Um, yeah, I'm with the, you on that. Yeah, which is the basis of our, of our litigation. And, you know, I don't uh, – I'm fairly secure – in our law and in my interpretation of the law, um, but that that's just not a correct statement of law. Well, this all comes down, Greg, to a very simple uh, fact that's going on here. The state legislature gave the governor authority, but never in their wildest imaginings did they think that he would say that he would just hold on to it and and continue to make all these decisions by himself. Now, I believe when the, they start the next session in January that uh, one of the first things that's probably going to happen is they're going to change that that piece of, uh, of legislation uh, to like, uh, you know, 60 days or something like that uh, so that uh, they know that, you know, you just can't give people unlimited power. That's not a smart thing to do. Well, yeah, we've got to be careful about that. Too. Um, I've had some conversation with, with some uh, legislators about uh, doing amendments to the uh, Emergency Services Act, and we have to be careful about that. Um, there's, there's one thing about doing wholesale change to existing legisl- uh, legis- legislation. Um, I, I think in this instance, uh, as interpreted, you know, uh, and, I, and I, as the court agrees with my reasoning in the, in the complaint, there's not a whole lot of changes that need to be made. For example, when you say 60 days, I mean, the, the clearly uh, the Emergency Services Act gives the governor emergency powers for 60 days. I mean, it's in there. Um, uh-huh. Now, he can, extend, he, he can extend it one time. Now, there's, you know, what that means is maybe subject to interpretation. But, um, I mean, uh, Professor Steinbuck can, can, can correct me if I'm wrong, but there is, I mean, that would take some ex- expression of residual authority in the executive branch, I mean, in other words, um, the, the executive branch would have to say, "Well, it doesn't say I can't, so therefore I can." That is a, that is an exercise of some residual authority that the executive branch doesn't possess. Doesn't possess the any any residual authority, uh, or in other words, in, in order to act when you're, you're expressly not permitted to resides with the legislature. In other words, if the legislature, I mean, the the, the the executive branch has no inherent legislative authority other than what is delegated by the legislature. Therefore, if, it, if the legislature doesn't say you can do it, you can't, because there's no residual authority that resides in the executive branch. All that resides with the legislature. So to say that because it doesn't say I can't, I can into perpetuity is absolutely a misstatement of law and, and unconstitutional. All right, so where do we go from here? I mean, they're they're asking that it be dropped. Evidently, it's going to go for a judge, and they're going to determine on that. When do you, when do you expect that determination to be made? Well, there there are a couple steps beforehand. Uh, I get to respond. Um, you, you get ten days. Uh, you get ten days to respond to a uh, motion to dismiss, and I'm I'm in the process of doing that right now. And then the then the uh, the respondent will have another five days to reply to my response. Um, 
Now, to their credit, um, they filed this within about 20 days uh, of filing the original complaint, and they had 30 days to respond. So they're, they are um, not sitting on this. Uh, and hopefully after that five-day reply period expired, we can get in front of the judge pretty quickly because there are some speedy hearing provisions in the, in the declaratory judgment statutes um, that should get us in front of a court uh, pretty quickly, of course, based on the court docket. But um, I, I would expect within the next uh, few weeks we'd get in front of Judge Griffin. All right. Appreciate your time, Greg. Thank you very much for joining us, bringing us up to date. As soon as you have something new for us, feel free to call into the show. I will, Dave. Thank you very much. All right. Greg Payne, he's the attorney dealing with Dan Sullivan's uh, and my uh lawsuit against the Department of Health. And uh, I, I just, something's got to be done, guys, with this. I, I was listening to Greg, and we started getting into that muddy area, that gray area of, well, what should we do and what shouldn't we do? Here's what we should do. We need to do uh, whatever is necessary to make sure that the people's house, that's the House and, and the State Senate, are not locked up from uh, doing their due diligence and their constitutional authority uh, here in this state. And, uh, Robert, I understand that maybe it sounded like it was kind of like walking in a minefield. Do you think it's that tough? Well, I think Greg does a very good job of laying out all of the very specific issues. But I think more broadly, his point is, not that complicated, and it is simply that the governor needs to get authority to do what he does as the chief law enforcement officer from the legislature. Right? A governor does not create laws. He signs them, and then they become laws, but he doesn't create laws. So without a, a grant of authority to the governor found either in laws or the Constitution itself, the governor has no additional powers. And that was, I believe, the point Greg was trying to bring out, is that he hasn't been granted this power in the first instance. Okay, so how do we make sure? Is there, is there some kind of legislation that we have to do to make sure that governors, and I used the plural because this will have uh, impact on future governors, uh, that, hey, look, you, you try to extend yourself, here's what's going to happen. Right. And that was Greg was sort of concerned about that. I'm, I'm not concerned about that in the sense that he his point was, well, we don't really need legislation when the, the legislation is only to grant authority. What you can do, however, with legislation and he's right on that. What you can't what you can do with legislation is reaffirm a notion. So uh, we did that, as you may recall, when uh, one of the schools in Arkansas refused to allow a uniform cop to wear his gun to school. The existing law said a uniform cop can wear a gun to school. But so there are two options. One, litigate it. Or two, write another law that says, hey, by the way, we really, really mean the first law. And uh, Bob Allinger is the one who authored that law, and I assisted. And that's what that's the path we chose there, and that resolved the problem. So here, it is possible to write legislation, but only to point out what is already the existing law, that any governor needs a grant of authority 
before he can act unless he has a constitutional grant or prior statutory grant of authority. All right. Final break here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Never say we don't talk about important issues. We do it every day. Here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. He's still there. Sequel, sequel. Just <laughs> We're just going to show the first one, though, all right? All right. No hockey mask in uh, Friday the 13th. Just remember that. Uh, there's no hockey mask in that one. Hey, uh, today is a historical day in Arkansas. It was on this day in 1957 that the Little Rock Nine uh, went to school at Central High School. And, of course, uh, the 101st Airborne was here along with the National Guard that had been federalized here in Arkansas to make sure they were protected to uh, go to school. Uh, but uh, there was more information in this article that I was reading from the History Channel about this event that I think we need to bring up. Arkansas was at the time among the most progressive southern states in regard to racial issues. The University of Arkansas School of Law was integrated in 1949. Little Rock Public Library, 1951. Even before the Supreme Court ordered integration to proceed with all deliberate speed, the Little Rock School Board in 55 unanimously adopted a plan of integration that would begin in 57 at the high school level. Now, the NAACP filed suit against that, arguing the plan was too gradual. Federal judge dismissed the suit, saying that the school board was acting in good faith. Meanwhile, Little Rock's public buses were dis, uh, desegregated. By 1957, seven out of Arkansas's eight state universities were integrated. In the spring of 57, there were 517 black students who lived in the Central uh, High School District. It went, came down to the Little Rock Nine who went uh, to uh, Little Rock Central. So a lot of things were happening in Arkansas previously to this. Uh, if you really want to get a feel kind of, of what it was like, go to the state capitol and see John Deering's awesome sculpture of the Little Rock Nine. And look at the faces on those sculptures. They're, they're, they're fantastic. And uh, take the time, maybe, if you'd like, and uh, go over and check out uh, Little Rock Central because it's... Uh, you know, it's a it's a national monument, historical monument, more than just a high school. Big, big deal. So anyway, just thought you guys would like to know that, uh, that, uh, you know, as far as being Neanderthals, the state of Arkansas wasn't that way. Faubus was, but the state of Arkansas was not. I well, bet you guys didn't know Dave, all that, as did you, you know, even to this day, uh, the folks in Arkansas are painted in a bad light. And it's it's really unfortunate. And, of course, anybody who actually comes here knows otherwise. Yeah, I would think so. I would hope so Rob. that uh, people yeah. know that. What do you got, Chris? You want to say they, something? They would, well, yeah, what's interesting is uh, Silas Hunt um, was a, a black man, an African-American, that enrolled in the University of Arkansas Law School, um, breaking the mm-hmm. color barrier in 1948. 
So, yeah. Oh, it was a Fourier. Arkansas okay. was progressive in this area. Yeah, Silas Hunt. Um, they've got a building named up after him up there at the University of Arkansas. And um, that was 1948. And the, the, the holdout here was Central Arkansas. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, the Central um, High School in Little Rock, Arkansas, which my dad graduated well, it was, from. And, it really was Faubus. Yeah. Faubus was there the one. Go. I mean, he, he was kind of yeah. our George Wallace at the time. Yes, I mean we all 100%. remember George Wallace standing on the steps and all of that, and there there are plenty yeah. of those people. You know what's interesting? Um, just the threat of violence in this area. The president sent in, or he he federalized the National Guard, Dave, yep. and he sent in the 101st Airborne. He sent in the 101st Airborne, one thousand <laughs> troops for nine <laughs> students. Yeah. I want everybody think to think about that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, they're burning down. Yeah, they had their M1s, and they were doing what they needed to do. And look, right. uh, under people like Eisenhower and stuff, you would not have seen Portland, Seattle, New York, Chicago, Detroit, and on and on and on, you know, Atlanta, all that went down. Oh. Uh, they would, there would have been a, a sign of force that would have stopped a lot of that. It's amazing. It really is amazing. And it's taken time, but I I just saw the other day now that about 70% of Americans understand that these are not peaceful protests. Of course, I don't blame them for not knowing that, that they're they're violent effects, because you got people like Reuters saying uh, after two police officers were shot, uh, that they were peaceful protests in Louisville, or you've got CNN saying fiery, peaceful protests uh, in Portland. Guys, we've got to get a break in. News is at the top of the hour. Let's do that. Then we'll come back. We've got a lot of things to talk about. I want to talk about Mitch McConnell. You know what his new name is now? they got a new moniker for him. You know, they used to call him like Cocaine Mitch and other things. Now he's called the Alpha Predator. <laughs> The alpha predator, because he's going to go down in history as one of the strongest Senate leaders uh, with uh, judges. There's just no doubt about it, and we need to talk about that. But political doesn't think so. They did a hit job on him. We'll talk about it. I sent you guys the article. Take a look at it during the news. We'll talk about it when we come back. The Dave Ellswick continues, uh, show continues on a Friday. Thanks for being with us. It's going to be a fairly nice day today. Going to have about 75% cloud cover, so there's going to be some sun. And our high today is going to be uh, around 80 degrees. Stick around. we got more for you coming up. Right here at 1011 FM, The Answer.
All right, let's get into our uh, 6 o'clock hour here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, with us is Robert Steinbach, a legal professor at the Bowen School of Law. His opinions are his and his alone and not necessarily those of the School of Law or the university. And uh, Chris Corbett is with us, and uh, he's out in Conway. He is a, a lawyer uh, here in Arkansas. He specializes in engineering, but uh, he does all kinds of litigation uh, as well. I sent you guys a, an article because I, I just couldn't believe how ridiculous it was. And it, it's from Political. Now, you know, Political is kind of presented as this, you know, uh, thing about uh, they they don't deal in in opinion as far as uh, being lefties or righties or anything like that, which is absolutely false. They're a left-leaning magazine. And John Harris wrote an article that is in their magazine for this month, and it says McConnell is on the losing side of history, and he knows it. And let me read the subheading to you. His contempt for voters, Senate colleagues, and tradition makes him the avatar of the politics of decline. Now, I could just take, I can deconstruct that uh, subhead and and show you where Harris just has missed the mark con- completely as far as history is concerned. Because his his whole argument in this is that trying to fill this vacancy of Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, because of her death by the president is in some way unprecedented in the history and annals of the Senate. And that's absolutely false. It's absolutely false. And it just it just blows my mind that they just that the left it, it shouldn't it shouldn't catch me off guard because they do it all the time. But the bottom line, they disregard history. They evidently have never picked up a history book. Robert, your thoughts on that? Well, the irony is that that argument is completely contrary to what they argued when Obama was trying to push through his nominee at the end of his term. And the Republicans set up this idea that, well, it's different when the president is of a different party than the Senate as some sort of moral justification. And as I've said on your show before, Dave, I don't think it's a particularly moral or immoral, to be clear, justification. I think the point is constitutional. It's a constitutional rule. Right. But the point is whether the president should nominate and the Senate should confirm at the end of any given term. And the claim by the Democrats under Obama was, oh, well, you've got to do it all the time, which is correct legally. And in other words, they said there is no limitation by a moral principle. And McConnell articulated this quasi-moral principle, but as I've described before, I think it's simply a description of constitutional power, meaning, well, we're not going to do it if we don't have to because we're the Senate and we're of the opposite party. And that that was ultimately what happened and ultimately uh, descriptive of the constitutional power. Where I think the Republicans made a mistake 
three years ago was to claim that there was some higher meaning in not approving Merrick Garland. No, there's no higher meaning. The, the no. Republicans had the Senate, so they didn't bring the vote forward. The Republicans now have the Senate consistent with, still have the Senate, but the president is a Republican, so they're going to bring the vote forward. It's an exercise of constitutional authority in both instances. So the Democrats really are being uh, sort of disingenuous when they claim a higher moral principle. The best they could claim is simply to say, hey, you guys said something a little bit different last time. Okay. Uh, It's not exactly true, but okay. But they're not claiming that. They're claiming some higher moral principle. There is none. Yeah, they're they're saying that, you know, because we're X amount of uh, days away from the presidential election, it's not right for the president to uh, to to nominate someone. Well, when is when does that happen? Does it happen after he served two years of his term, three years of his term, three years, six months? I mean, that's an arbitrary uh, time frame that you're talking and. It completely disregards the Constitution, which is the president nominates and the Senate, uh, you know, is going to is going to advise and, uh, and and tell the president what they think about the nominee. And they'll either confirm or not confirm his nominee. I mean, it's that simple. It's not this is not rocket scientists uh, science. Middle schoolers can understand this. Well, to be clear, Dave, Lindsey Graham, uh, a few years ago, said it wrong, right? He said, well, if the president gets a nomination uh, in the last year of his term, hold me to it, uh, I won't vote to move that nomination forward. That was wrong. So there is some, on both sides, some flip-flopping in terms of their position, but it's because they each had at the previous point claimed some higher moral authority. This isn't about higher moral authority, as you well articulate. It's about the exercise of constitutional power. The Senate will confirm under its constitutional power when it deems it appropriate to do so, which is generally when the president is of the same party, and when it doesn't deem it to do so, well, such as when the president was Obama of a different party, they won't. It's descriptive. It's not a moral claim. And people go, well, that's just bare-knuckle politics. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And the Founding Fathers knew that it was going to be that way. Chris, why don't you jump in on this? Oh, I'm all over it, Dave. Okay, so if if the president's going to abdicate his powers in the last year of his election, or in an election year, right, does that mean he can't? Pardon somebody in the last year? No. Well, how about signing a new law? Can he just, okay, well, it's election year. I better not sign this law. It's been passed by Congress. No, he does not abdicate his powers to nominate someone for the Supreme Court just because it's an election year. It's, it's, a, it's a stunt. It's smoke and mirrors. Um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was, not, was nominated um, I believe, in, and, and, confer, and, and confirmed by the Senate within 45 days, somewhere around 42 days. And yeah, it was quick. Um, are they arguing about? Go ahead. Yeah, no, it was quick. I mean, Stevens was done in yeah. 19 days. Yeah, and and so the argument is, oh well, we might, it might not be the same president after the election. Therefore, he shouldn't get to nominate somebody. That's crazy. Okay, if if you're going to take away his power in election year, uh, or say there's some more higher moral authority that he should not do that just because it's an election year. How, where do you draw the line? 
um, okay, so he shouldn't sign a bill. Um, he shouldn't give any pardons. Now, you know, presidents normally wait to the, the last week of their, um, you know, the presidency to sign pardons because there could be some political ramifications. There, there, there is some gaming that goes on with the timing, um, but not in this regard. He, he needs to nominate someone as soon as he feels like they've been vetted and they're, they're a good person. Um, under his standards or his, you know, gets, um, they get vetted. So, yeah, and then the Senate gets to do what they do, advise and consent. If it takes That's them 100 exactly days. exactly right. Them, you got confirm, it, man. You're all, you're all con, over it. Con, confirm or don't confirm. It's that simple. There you go. And if this, if this position was reversed, the Democrats, rightly so, would be looking to fill that position with the person that they thought was the person that would uh, serve in the Supreme Court the way they would hope they would. I mean, that's just the way right. it, 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 it plays out as far as I'm concerned. I, I just know, yep. here's what I know, and, and it's what's driving the left crazy. Uh, President Trump looks like he's going to have, is going to uh, decide a makeup of a third of the Supreme Court during his first four years. He gets reelected, which I firmly believe he is going to do. There's at least two more uh, seats that I think that he'll he'll have something to say about. I think uh, Bayer has been pretty, uh, you know, reticent about wanting to call it quits. And Justice Thomas is talking about calling it quits. So he may have right. another two, right. another two that he would be uh, naming. I mean, think about that for a moment. I, how how many presidents uh, how many presidents have ever named five Supreme Court justices and I don't think that's ever happened and that's why I go back and say that Mitch McConnell is going to go down in history as a very strong Senate leader at least when it comes to judges you feel that way Chris yeah Dave you just brought up a great point he potentially could name if he wins the election could potentially name five of the nine Supreme Court justices uh the Dems would think that that's unfair that's why they're wanting to throw out these other red herrings out there oh let's increase the number of justices out there now there is some history that where uh the number of justices have been manipulated um so they may they're going to be they're going to be bringing out all their arrows to attack uh, Trump and his nomination powers. Yeah, that's what uh, Pelosi said. We got arrows in our quiver, but they don't do yep, anything. That's what you I know? Was, yep. You know, her, the arrow, the arrows they're firing don't have have uh, you know uh, those really hunting tips on them. They've got the rubber sucker tips on them. <laughs> there you go. There you <laughs> that's, go. That's all that's there, Robert. What do you think? Is it, does the American public really care? Does the American public care about what? Well, do, do they do they care that, you know, this is an exercise of politics? Oh, no, I don't think so. Now, with that said, the Democrats look for anything to pull their hair about, pull their hair out about. I wish I saved it. Yesterday morning on The New York Times, it had this inflammatory headline about how some latest offense to the left was the end of democracy as we know it. And I almost captured it with a photograph, and I didn't. And sure enough, later in the day, it was gone. 
It was completely rewritten. How many times has the New York Times rewritten their headlines when they realized it was just political advocacy? So yeah. I bring all that up to simply say, this will be fodder for the leftists that never had any intention to vote for Trump. You saw, for example, those videos that were going around on social media Various people screaming into the phone, oh, my goodness, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. It's the end of the world. What are we going to do? Yeah. What are we going to do? I understand that it's important to the left, but it, everything seems to be histrionics this day. Uh, so it'll be relevant to them in the sense that it's just another one of the events for them to go crazy about. All right. So when we come back Tuesday is the big debate, all right? First debate between Trump and Biden. Biden has been putting a lid on his campaign basically this week. Putting a lid on means he doesn't go out and campaign, which is really nothing new, but he's not going to go out and campaign. And he's boning up for the debate coming up on Tuesday. I've got a question for you guys when we come back for our final segment today that I think you're going to love talking about. So uh, Chris and Robert will be back. I'm not going to tell them what the question is because they're going to love this so much. I, I don't want them to get, you know, saliva all over their phones. So a break and we'll be back with more here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And here on the Dave Ellswick Show, I like to get into some hypotheticals just because they're so interesting to talk about. And my guest, uh, Robert Steinbach, and, of course, uh, Chris Corbett being with me, they're going to love this one. All right, so the first presidential debate is Tuesday, uh, and that's when uh, President Trump and uh, vice Pre- former Vice President Joe Biden will face off. Now, the left has already... Uh, been saying, well, Biden, you shouldn't even go out and debate Trump because he's just going to lie, blah, 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 blah. And uh, uh, Biden says, you know, we need to have a fact checker with a cryon running along the bottom uh, to tell everybody what the real truth is. And the uh, problem is it won't be the real truth. It'll be the left's truth that we'll see. And then uh, I'm I'm just really interested to see what you guys think about this. I've been hearing more and more people say, uh, one, the left is setting up that if Biden just shows up and can stand there and move his mouth and keep his eyes open during the debate, he's the winner of the debate, uh, not what he says. And then secondly, uh, there are people who are saying that uh, – there shouldn't be a second debate. Biden should be smart enough to do do the first one because he kind of kind of has to do it, but that he shouldn't do the second one. So I want to see what you guys think about this. Uh, first of all, will there be a debate on Tuesday night? Secondly, will there be a second debate? Well, I think that's an open question, in fact. To be clear, I'm not portending that it won't happen, but I think it's certainly possible given the behavior and the open claims made by various Democrats that Biden should not debate the president. Mm. And the biggest risk for Biden is he has one of his many senior moments. And that's been his problem, is that he has these bouts of failure to remember and failure to articulate. And as we've discussed before, Dave, and I'm not looking to pick on him due to an infirmity, but there's clearly 
some cognitive decline that has taken place. You can see it when you watch debates by Biden and just Biden speaking in general from previous years. There's clearly a change. He was known always as a gas machine. But the gas machine was when he said something inappropriate, not when he was unable to say something, not when he had a jumble of words or a complete mischaracterization of reality. And I don't mean that as a lie, that he's lying. I mean, he's saying something that is bizarre. And we've seen a number of instances of that. And I think it's clear that it's a function of some cognitive decline. Yeah, I agree. Chris, what about you? What do you think about this? I, if I was, let me put my shoes in Biden's uh, political advisors, right? I would be scared to death that Biden would 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 create some gaffe or have some moment on air where he's, um, you know, got some kind of cognitive dysfunction thing going on. We, we've seen it before. Um, it'd be it'd be brutal. Let's, let's, so if that happens, then we got to have a second debate. He's got to have a second debate. So get him scheduled. Um, if I was a you know Democratic strategist, if he fails on the first one, he's got to redeem himself on the second one. If he wins on the first one, then yeah, let's have a, let's have number two to reinforce it. Um, so uh, I, I think it's uh, it's a risk, but it, he's got to do it. And um, I think my my prediction of the outcome is Trump's going to just pound him. Well, the the left is already setting this up. It, this is kind of like remember when Biden had to debate Palin. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. Lead, sure. leading, leading up to that debate, the the narrative was, wow, Palin is going to eat his lunch. You know, Biden just won't be able to hold a candle to her, et cetera, et cetera. So when he came on and he had you know, a decent debate, it was like, oh, my God, how fantastic he was and all of that. They're doing the same thing now. That's a fantastic point, Dave. They're reviewing those tapes. Uh, Biden's studying. He's 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 working right now every day. They're practicing, throwing zingers at him. Um, and um, it's, it's going to be interesting. I, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that uh, wholeheartedly. So uh, the first debate is on Tuesday. We'll have it live here at 101.1 FM. The answer uh, gets underway at 8 o'clock our time. And you won't want to miss this. Uh, and always remember this. Uh, televised debates started in 1960. That was with Kennedy and Nixon. And the people who watched that debate because of the visuals of the young Kennedy and the frumpy at that point looking uh, Richard Nixon, who had a five o'clock yeah. shadow when he went on and he was yeah. he was sweating under the lights and what, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. looked nervous. <laughs> the people who watched that thought that Kennedy won. The people who listened to it on radio, though, and were listening to the content uh, and this is why when you watch television, it's a a cool medium where you watch, you listen to radio. You got to pay attention, so it's a hot medium that you got to, you got on radio. Nixon won overwhelmingly. He won, 
as people listen to his answer. So it's going to be it'd be interesting if we get the same kind of thing uh, this time uh, uh, it, 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 during the, the debate as well. I'll be watching it because I've already got guests that we're lining up for Friday, uh, Wednesday. All right, we're going to shift gears now. We're going to get away from politics. We're going to talk about movies and what's going on in the movie business and things of that nature. Uh, I get all kinds of information every morning when I get up. Uh, uh, my wife would tell you that my nose goes firmly into my phone reading and reading and reading. Plus, I turn on the television typically to Good Morning with Maria Bartoloma and watching what the markets are saying they're going to do and things of that nature to get ready for the show. I start that about, you know, sometime in the, the four-ish hour uh, of my day. And there was an article today, and it was written by uh, uh, Kevin Berwick, and it deals with uh, Marvel Studios and, of course, uh, that's Disney. And they now have announced a significant delay for some of their most anticipated movies. For Black Widow. I, I had wondered about this because suddenly all the trailers I had been seeing about Black Widow suddenly were not on television anymore. Uh, also, the Eternals m- uh, movie have been uh, going to uh, be put off. Now, think for a moment. Theaters across the United States don't. Th- this doesn't play out with Matt Smith because his VIP cinemas have been open, you know, way back in, in March. And uh, he's been showing movies the whole time. Bottom line, uh, the other movie that Disney's now saying is is uh, going to be uh, wait until next year, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And they're saying that public health crisis yeah, I scratch my head at this. We're not in an emergency situation anymore. MCU's Phase 4 was supposed to kick off back in May with Black Widow. Then the studio decided to push it back to November of this year, uh, though uh, some people knew that that might not happen because the movie was supposed to open on November 20th, but now will instead open on May 7th, twenty. 21 and, and and matt smith this could cause some problems uh for theaters that are looking for new product and big the big tentpole movies to draw people back to the theaters what say you hey how's it going this morning things going I'm good well? good i'm doing good good I'm doing deal, good good deal um yeah i mean that title's been moved back there's there's really a lot of factors to that uh, one of the biggest factors is um, about 30% of the movie theaters across the country remain closed. Um, the city of New York, the city of Los Angeles, and the city of San Francisco, all those theaters are closed and look to remain closed for quite some time. Um, 20% of all movie tickets sold in North America are sold in New York City, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. So when you take those three cities out because those theaters are forced to be closed, uh, you've already lost the potential of 20% of any ticket you could sell just because there's so many theaters in those densely populated cities right there. Um, it is hard to open up a movie like Black Widow uh, that costs $300 million to make 
when you have no shot at selling 20% of your potential tickets. Okay. Uh, that is one of the biggest holdups there. Uh, Black Widow was actually originally dated May 1st this year, then it moved to November 6th. Um, I can understand uh, why you don't open a picture under those conditions, uh, because, hey, 20% of your potential business is gone. Before you even get to um, the capacity limitations at theaters, uh, how many screens you're going to get, those other issues. I also can't blame Disney for moving off that November 6th release date because that is um, just three days after the election. And no one seems to believe that the election is going to be settled on November the 6th. Nope. Um, you had the rioters trying to burn down Louisville, Kentucky now. Um, they've tried to burn down Portland. They've tried to burn down Seattle. They tried to burn Kenosha. down Washington, D.C. Um, the list goes on and on. Um, I certainly wouldn't want to um, uh, put a major motion picture like that uh, into movie theaters with three major cities closed and just three days after the election when, you know, no one knows what these rioter, looter crazies are going to do. Yeah, so I, I can't. I, yes, so I can't, I can't really blame Disney for moving the film. But um, there's a lot of movies out there. There's a lot of movies coming up. Um, you know, just between now and the end of the year, uh, Disney, which owns 20th Century Fox, is uh, <clears throat> is going to release five titles. So, I mean, there are still movies in uh, the pipeline. Uh, unfortunately, um, you know, the media pushes the negative. It's 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 sad, but uh, but true. Um, you know, box office is coming back. People are returning to the theaters. Um, I think that um, the battle that we're up against now is, is a lot of people don't know theaters are open. One of the reasons they don't know theaters are open is, you know, big movies like Black Widow aren't being advertised on television. So, I mean, that's part of the issue. But, I mean, you look at what's coming up, um, you know, I mean, just to name a few. Uh, the War with Grandpa, um, good family film, comes out October the 9th. Uh, Two Hearts, a romantic comedy, is October 16th. An awesome motion picture, really what I think is the best film released since Tenet, is uh, The Honest Thief with Liam Neeson. That's out October 16th. Um, 20th Century Fox, now owned by Disney, is releasing The Empty Man October 23rd. Lionsgate's got a film called Fatale on October 30th. Uh, Come Play from Amblin Entertainment is October the 30th. Uh, Let Him Go with Kevin Costner, who's uh, really just doing big things now with the TV show uh, Yellowstone. Yeah. Uh, he's got a movie called Let Him Go that's out November 6th. Uh, the Comeback Trail from Cloudburst, the wonderful people that just brought us Infidel, previously known as Pure Flix. They got a movie out November 13th, The Comeback Trail. Uh, Bloomhouse releases Freaky November 13th. Uh, Soul from Walt Disney Pictures is still slated for, for November 20th, and so is the James Bond film No Time to Die. Uh, so, I mean, there are films out there. Uh, November and December have a have a good slate of films. Well, Wonder Woman's still out there. We're yeah. not sure what, what Disney is going to do about it. They very well might turn around and push it back. Uh, I think that Dune will probably get pushed back because... It, it, you know, Dune is a great science fiction movie and book, but it will be interesting to see if it can draw the audience it needs into the theater. Because it, it, it's a cerebral political thriller, really, more so than a sci-fi. 
Well, Wonder Woman is dated. Uh, Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four is dated Christmas Day. That's from Warner Brothers. Um, you know, that's set to go Christmas Day. Uh, News of the World from Universal's Christmas Day. Got a cool little horror film from uh, Sony called Escape Room Two going December thirtieth. Woohoo! They did yeah. Escape Room. Escape Room One did great. Yes, yes. Eddie Murphy's movie Coming to America Two and Death on oh. the Nile are both for December eighteenth. Uh, Free Guy from Disney is. December the 11th, and uh, on the 25th of November, we've got The Croods, The Happiest Season, and Voyagers. So there are some films in the pipeline. That's good. Uh, you know, we're open now. Uh, yep. You can still go to the movies. <laughs> you know, yeah, right I'm going to be, check out a I'm movie. Gonna be I mean, at the theater. I, I went a couple of weeks ago and went and saw The New Mutants, which I mm-hmm. I gave a, a B-. minus. I It's a good movie. Have fun. Go mm-hmm. see it. And then uh, I'm... On Sunday, I'm going to go see Tenet. I'm, I've been really wanting to see that. I'm going to go down uh, to uh, the cinema, uh, VIP Cinema in Cabot, and see that on Sunday afternoon. Well, you can you can check us out at Riverdale 10, Riverdale10.com in Little Rock, CerseCinema.com in Cersei. It's CabotVIPCinema.com in your home city of Cabot. Yep. Uh, HotSpringsVIP.com in Hot Springs and Oaks. Cinema, VIP, or excuse me, OakCinema.com in Batesville. And there's some cool stuff going on this weekend. We've got the 40th anniversary reissue of The Empire Strikes Back. That's nice. Those tickets, just $5 uh, all, all, all the time. And uh, we are showing Infidel, uh, which is from, uh, you know, originally done by, by the company Pure Flix. Um, that's on, that's new. Uh, also new this week is The Last Shift with Richard Jenkins. Uh, that is currently playing. Uh, you can catch Fatima uh, with um, Harvey Keitel uh, also this weekend uh, about that historic uh, religious uh, event. That's out. Uh, we're still showing Tenet, as you mentioned. Unhinged is still on the screen. We're still playing The New Mutants. Uh, that rom-com Broken Hearts Gallery is out there. At Riverdale, uh, you can see you can also see uh, Kajillionaire, uh, which is a new film today. Uh, that's <laughs> Kajillionaire, out. I like that. Yes, yes, and and Kajillionaire and The Last Shift both got wonderful reviews uh, in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette today. Uh, we're still playing The Nest with um, Jude Law. That's still on the screen. Uh, Tuesday night, all movie tickets are five dollars, and uh, if you come out to see a uh, classic or reissue film like this weekend the empire strikes back or if you see rbg about ruth baines ginberg that uh, that movie those tickets are always five dollars any day of the week any showtime well that's great i gotta tell you what the empire strikes back if you're a big star wars fan is considered the best star wars movie that was ever released I mean, that movie is story-wise, direction-wise, acted-wise, you know, excitement-wise, look, I'm your father-wise, one of the greatest movies ever, ever made. So uh, that's one for everybody to go see. But it's as you said, uh, Matt, you don't see a lot of movies being... The only movie I've been seeing advertised on television all that much is Infidel. And they've been doing a pretty good marketing campaign for it. I w- I'd like to see that movie as well. 
That's a good movie. It's based on a true story. Uh, it's playing at all five of my movie, movie theaters. So, I mean, you can catch it in Batesville, Searcy, Cabot, Hot Springs, and Riverdale. It's a great film, wide release, good movie. Um, and, you know, it's based on a true events, true story. Uh, I think they did a great job with the film. And, you know, the star has done a lot of movies uh, of that type. And, you know, I mean, speaking of, um, you know, good Christian motion pictures, I mean, we have Fatima on the screen with Harvey Keitel, uh, obviously a Christian story. That's playing this week. And uh, next week we'll have uh, the Heaven movie, uh, which won the uh, Christian Film Festival. Uh, it, it won the uh, the awards there for the best movie at the Christian Film Festival, the Heaven movie. That starts on Friday, October the 2nd. So, um, yes, I know your listeners are interested in films like that, and we do have those on right now. So... What happened to Gerald Butler's movie? Uh, they're good. They moved that movie to the fourth quarter. Uh, it's called Greenland. It's an action picture. They plan yeah. to release it sometime in the fourth quarter. And when I spoke to um, uh, STX about that, they told me that um, what they wanted to do is go when San Francisco, Los Angeles, and New York opened. That's when they okay. were going to release it. So whenever those theaters get to open, they're going to release that picture. Could be October 16th. Could be October 23rd. Could be October 30th. Sometime between now and the end of the year, they're going to put that theater, that movie into theaters um, as soon as they can go into those big cities. That's the holdup, really. Uh, you know, Tenet is setting box office records across the country. It was the biggest opening for Warner Brothers in Japan ever. So, uh, Tenet's a great motion picture. It's doing business. People want to go to the movies. Um, these theaters need to be allowed to open. And um, once once we can get all the theaters in America open, these movies will get released. All right. Well, let's talk further about this when we come back. Got to get a break in. And what does this portend for the future? I mean, there's all these movies they're pushing back to 2021. What about the movies that they already had that they were looking about starting in 2021? What does that mean for them? All of that discussed with Matt Smith. Uh, there's movies to go see this weekend. Take a date. Have some fun at the movies this weekend. Eat, uh, eat dinner at the movies, in fact. And know that you can social distance. They're going to wipe down the seats and everything in between movies. You're safe going to the movie theaters here at the uh, VIP Cinemas. We'll take a break. We'll be more uh, back with you for a few minutes more when we return on the Dave Ellswick Show. Well, here we are at the end of a Friday edition of the Dave Ellswick Show. We're in the 6 o'clock hour. I got Matt Smith on with us. He is the movie guru and uh, potentate of central Arkansas, owning theaters in Hot Springs, of course, uh, Riverdale 10 in Little Rock, uh, the cinema in Cabot, the VIP cinema there in Searcy, and then also up in Batesville, the Oaks. So uh, we're talking about movies that are showing, uh, and we're talking Talking about the movie industry in general. And before I push any further into that, let me remind you that the Dave Ellswick Classic Movie returns Tuesday, October 13th. What a great day. October 13th. And we're going to show the original Friday the 13th. The original Friday, the original slasher movie uh, after Halloween that got really got the... Uh, the camp slasher movie going uh, over the next 
what, 50 years, I guess it's been now. That's right. That's yeah, right. It keeps on going. So it's going to be fun to show it again. See a very young Kevin Bacon. I mean very young Kevin Bacon in, in, in this movie. Yep. He's in this movie, Friday the 13th, and uh, we can't wait to, to, to show it. It's going to be a, a, a lot of fun. By the way, Heidi, we've got the ad for that ready. Can, can you play that for us? I want, I want to, Matt to hear it real quick. Can you bring it up for us? Sure. Give me just a moment. Okay. She's looking for it, Matt. You're going to love it. It's gonna, you're going to love it. The only thing we're missing is the that's not in it. You're going to... And really, that didn't start playing out until we got into the second one. But uh, and and I want to remind everybody: no hockey mask in the first one. Just so everybody knows, no hockey mask in the first that's one. True. So, uh, well, everybody in the audience may have their mask on, though. See, that, but they will. That'll, that'll add to the ambiance. No doubt, you know? <laughs> they will do that. Yeah, they'll have that, and and they'll have their rubber knives. Anyway, with that in mind, uh, you got it for us, there, Heidi. I do. Here we go. Okay, here you are, Matt. The Dave Ellswick Classic Movie is back. Tuesday, October the 13th. Join us for the bloody beginnings of the Summer Camp Slasher. We weren't doing anything. We were just messing Friday the 13th is back on the big screen at the Riverdale 10 VIP Cinema. From 1980, a group of camp counselors are stalked and murdered by an unknown assailant. His name was Jason. While trying to reopen a summer camp that was the site of a child's drowning and a grisly double murder years before. The counselors weren't paying any attention. Featuring Kevin Bacon, Friday the 13th shows one time only, Tuesday, October the 13th at 7 p.m. at the Riverdale 10 VIP Cinema. Friday the 13th from Dave Ellswick and 101.1 FM, The Answer. Are they all dead? Yes, ma'am. The boy, is he dead too? Who? Jason. We didn't find any boy. Then he's still there. Ah, sequel! (laughs) (laughs) 40th anniversary. Friday the 13th. How's that one for you? 40th anniversary. We're going to show it again on, couldn't do it on Friday the 13th, but we could do it on Tuesday, October the 13th. That's it. Tuesday, October the 13th, 7 o'clock. Tickets only five bucks. They're on sale at Riverdale10.com. Don't want to miss it. You absolutely do not want to miss that motion picture. All right. So, um, let me just ask you, with these pushbacks that we're getting on the movies right now into 21, uh, how does that affect 21? Uh, uh, you know, Matt, I mean, you can only do so many te- te- uh, tentpole movies and expect to make money at them. Is that not true? Well, well <clears throat> what, you, what you've had is, you know, you've had, you've had these movies from 2020 being pushed into 2021. But um, you've got to understand that no work has really been done since March. So they haven't been filming movies, nor have they been editing movies or, or cutting movies or doing the sound or anything else. There's been no work for six months. Uh, just last week, uh, the unions for the writers, directors, actors, uh, script people, all of that, just last week, the unions agreed on COVID-19 guidelines to allow studios to start working again. Okay? Wow, it took them six months to figure that out? All work has been stopped for six months. And so those movies uh, that were supposed to come out in 2021 aren't finished. 
So uh, they'll they'll move, and these moves from 2020 will move into 2021 uh, to fill that in. And people are starting back to work, but they're obviously starting back to work under these guidelines that will slow filming and production and editing and sound and everything down. So, um, you know, I mean, you just can't do it like you used to. They're, they're at least going to get back to work. But uh, they're six months behind. they got a lot of work to do. So those movies that were, you know, those movies that were on the 2021 calendar, let's say last year in 2019, no way they're finished. No way. So this stuff moving into 20, you know, from 2020 into next year will bump stuff that wasn't finished from next year into the following year. Man, you've had more headaches than any one person should have uh, trying to run a, you know, movie theaters uh, during this. And, and it just seems like the headaches just keep on coming, dude. That's true. It's 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 tough. Uh, I don't know. Um, there's going to be a lot of movie theaters that don't survive this. Uh, there's going to be a lot of independents that uh, go out of business and just go away. Uh, a lot of mom and pops that um, you know won't exist on the other side of this thing. Uh, a lot of a lot of places that were open showing movies in March this year that won't be doing that uh, come March of 2021. And you're also going to see a lot of mergers and acquisitions in the business uh, where these uh, large uh, world, uh, worldwide chains or nationwide chains have to merge or one chain is acquired by the other. Uh, there's, okay. you know, there's some chains out there that are, that are strong, uh, got a good balance sheet, uh, ran their business correctly. And there's a lot of chains that loaded up on a lot of debt uh, the past three or four years. Uh, buying up cinemas and swallowing up other right. chains, and they're too debt loaded to make it. They're, they're playing our songs, Matt. That means we've <laughs> got to get out of here. Thank you very much for joining me today on the Dave Ellswick Show. I'll see everybody Monday morning, 6 a.m.